Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Hey, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to today's edition of Calvary Live. Taking your calls today, 303-690-3000, 303-690-3000. You can also text me at 720 would love to have you give us a call, 303-690-3000. That's to get on the air, 720-336-0897. I want to welcome everyone listening live on the Radio by Grace Network. You're across the country in 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. And I know they added a 22 uh, Alaska has been added, so 22 stations around the country, uh, and then we have everyone on the radio on the Grace FM radio network uh, taking your calls and your questions uh, live, and then on the Hope FM Truth FM network, as well as Higher Rock Radio, uh, you are listening to one week delay, one week delay, and we are glad that you can join us. Don't let the delay uh, affect you at all, because you can call the, while the show's airing. Uh, you'll talk to a live, um, you will talk to a live uh, host, and the people listening live will hear it, and then you get to tune in, which is different. You get to tune in later uh, for... To hear yourself on the radio, which is kind of cool, uh, and it's a, it's a neat thing you guys get to do. So no matter what, open lines, phone lines are open, and every line is available. 303-690-3000 as the red lights start to blink. We have Bible study tonight here at Calvary, a midweek bump, a midweek boost, studying through the book of Genesis. God is really been using our midweek Bible study uh, in extraordinary ways. Of course, it's a little bit smaller in, in the attendance and gathering, which makes it much more intimate. It's not definitely not like a home Bible study, but it's also not like the three services that we have full every weekend. Uh, and it's in the midweek, so you've who knows what kind of week you've had, uh, what, what you've faced, what you've been going through. Um, but um, it is, whether it's been difficult, you need a boost, or it's been great, and you want to celebrate, we, it, this, is, this is where, to the best of our ability, we uh, operate as a corporate body of Christ, and, and we are a little bit larger church, that we can participate in Acts 2.42 as a church family on the property, in the big room together, uh, where we continue steadfastly in the Apostles' Doctrine, and in fellowship, and the breaking of bread, and in prayer. 
And if you're here in Colorado in the metro area, Denver Metro, come on over. It's not that far. Uh, even though there was a little bit of snow today, it looks like it didn't stick. And so are we grateful for that. And then anywhere in the country, get our free app. Just go to our app store uh, and download the app, open it, turn on notifications, and you can watch live, listen to anything we've ever uh, recorded and posted here. And we'd love to stay in touch with you. 303-690-3000, Taking your calls and your questions. Uh, just so grateful for what God is doing uh, in our life, uh, what God is doing on the earth today, uh, what God is doing uh, in our church life. Uh, we're, we're pretty excited about what God's doing. It's like we get to start over in many ways. Uh, and what a blessing. All right, phone lines are full. I'm going to go right over to the phones. We're going to start in Colorado Springs. Uh, Robert, welcome to the program. Hey there, Mr. Taylor. Good afternoon. How are you doing? Doing good, man. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. Um, so I just had a question sort of about uh, maybe differences between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and as well as, um, like, the rapture and Jesus' return and the seven-year war and sort of what's after. Okay, what's your question? Um, well, well, I guess one question would be during, like, after the rapture. Yes. And uh, for those folks who maybe, I don't know, it's hard to sort of ask because, you know, I don't know first. Okay. But, uh, so after the rapture and, you know, all the people who do go, go. And then, like, there's a seven-year war with everyone. I mean, will we be, like, maybe seeing zombies or also, like, you know, miracles maybe even Jesus raises people from the dead? Yeah, we won't be seeing zombies. Zombies are a made-up, uh, fictional account of the dead walking around like they're still dead. So zombies are fictional, so you won't be seeing zombies. Um, after the rapture of the church, life's going to go on pretty much... Uh, like it did before with the absence of true believers, except that we have to remember that the rapture is a very cataclysmic event. It's kind of displayed in movies and things as like it's nice and easy and, and you just leave your clothes behind and everybody goes on with their life and says the Christians left and were taken by aliens. Um, but it's a very cataclysmic event. Uh, there's going to be, for example, Christian airline pilots that are raptured and the plane is not going to fly itself, or there's going to be uh, many Christians driving cars, and if they're raptured, then their car is going to continue. Like, like there, there's going to be a lot of of chaos on the earth immediately following the rapture, but that will only help propel the Antichrist into a place of, of position. You know how politicians always like to create a crisis? They always like to create chaos, because in crisis and chaos— they can gain more power. And by gaining more power, they gain more control. And by gaining more control, the ultimate goal is they gain money. And so the rapture is going to be a cataclysmic event that will have a temporary 
season of difficulty and chaos that will be exploited by the governments, those that are in power, and by the Antichrist as he rises to power uh, and begins to make treaties of peace and such. Um, but the, the the life will go on um, for a period of time, and then all hell is going to break loose with the judgments, the wrath of the Lamb uh, is going to come during that time, and, and there'll be people fighting it. Fight, you know, there was even that example in the book of Revelation that during the great tribulation period, the last seven years of human history, that there'll be, uh, you know, rocks the size of hailstones coming down or hailstones coming down, uh, and there'll be, um, there'll be people, instead of crying out to the Lord, crying out for hail, rocks to fall on them, um, and people hiding, and the leaders drinking the oil and the wine, and and so um, it's going to be cataclysmic, then it's going to be peaceful, then it's going to be cataclysmic, and then the second coming of the Lord is 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 coming. Oh, all right. All right, gotcha. I was going to, I was about to ask if the rapture and the second coming is the same day, but is the rapture seven years in the second coming? Yeah, I believe that the rapture happens prior to the, uh, prior to the seven-year tribulation, which would be pre-tribulational. That's the name of the view. And I also believe that the rapture is before the millennial period, which is also known as premillennialism. And there's different um, different views on that, but I believe the rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ are separated by seven years. Oh, right. I got you. That clears up sort of what I was wondering. That's a gro- great question. I appreciate you sharing it all and then knocking it down to just a, a, a specific area to think about, because that's... Um, that's very helpful for our listening audience. So thanks, bro. Thanks so much. All right, bye-bye. Nice talking with you. Bye-bye. 303-690-3000. By the way, I forgot to mention, uh, by the way, I have put together a list of, uh, I think I called it 12 chronological events uh, of the end times. And uh, you can get that on our my website, edtaylor.org. Or you can text me or email me, and I'll send you the link. So I'm going to look it up right now. I'm going to put it in the word chronological in the search bar, and because I remember using that word for sure. And it is 12 chronological events of the end times. And there's also another one. What did I write here? 13 chronological events of the end times. I wonder what these are. I wonder if they're the same. Oh, yeah, they're the same. I just numbered them incorrectly. So yes, 13 or 12 uh, events, either one of them is the same list. Um, let me see when I what I did on 12, because that's the most recent, uh, and there are only 12. I think I posted the other one uh, counting wrong, so I'll have to delete it. Uh, so give me a call, 303-690-3000. If you want this list, go to my website, edtaylor.org. Or uh, text me, 720-336-0897, and I will send you a link. Uh, and I'll return it uh, at the very least at the end of the program today. But I might be able to get some, depending on how many I get, I might be able to get some of these done uh, during uh, the break. So give me a call, 303 303-690-3000. Okay, so I tried to delete it, and it wouldn't let me delete it. So I'll do it later. 
303-690-3000 is the number where we had in Pennsylvania. Roy, welcome to the program. Hey, Roy. Roy is not with us, but Roy had a good question. And that is, is it a sin to play the lottery? Uh, And that is a great question uh, because... I think that people can make a case for both sides. So let's say, let's put it on the first level uh, and let's make sure we understand that lotter- the lottery, even states recognize this, would fall under the category of gambling. And ga- to gamble literally means to risk something of value on an outcome that depends on chance. And because the outcome of a lottery depends on chance, and it involves risk of losing it all, or then you would call it um, gambling. Nowhere in the Bible do we have an example of the lottery, um, even though there are some examples of gambling. And I think the way that you answer this question of whether it's a sin or not is, is God giving you a peace and a direction? And I, I don't want to emphasize peace, because I think we could say we have a peace about everything, but can you literally say that God has given you permission to in, put your money down on a lottery ticket? And you have to understand what the lottery is. And a lottery is not just gambling, but it is a government's way to tax the poor. Because most of the folks that are attracted to the lottery are in great need of a lot of money. And it's very attractive. But the lottery is just a moneymaker for the government where very few people win, extremely few people win, but the government always wins. So when you give a dollar for a lottery ticket, the government gets 50 cents straight out of the gate. They get half of the proceeds. And the other half are spent on the winnings to some degree. The, the, the ratios change but it is an automatic. You you basically are saying, I'm going to give the government 50 cents for the chance to win whatever the lottery is. And, you know, very few people read it. As a matter of fact, I just saw an article. I didn't read it, uh, but a lottery winner in England uh, that you would be surprised by what it said, but that the, the title of the article was like, she regrets it. She wished it never happened, which I should, I probably should have read the article, but I wasn't super interested in her story, hers or or anyone's, I, I think that uh, we have to recognize it for what it is, uh, is gambling. Now, some people are involved in the lottery, like they might buy a ticket in honor of a loved one that used to do it, or and you just fully know that you're not going to win, but you're doing it in memory of a, of a loved one or something. You know, I think you could probably make a case uh, for that being, you know, just know you're it's kind of like buying a cup of coffee. You just know what you're getting, uh, and you're not, um, you know, you're not in a way where you're trying to be a billionaire, or win, or anything. Um, but I think most of the time, the motive of a person playing the lottery is to win the money, uh, and it's not just like in the memory of a loved one or something. And to gamble is definitely a sin. So if you're gambling uh, to play the lottery, you are sinning. 303-690-3000.
Great question. I'm always grateful um, for these types of questions because it makes us talk things through. Here's a great question. Do you happen to know if you guys are going to do another creative conference? Well, wouldn't you know that we actually have our very first ever very organized and prepared and planned out conference that we are calling the Refresh Creative Conference. Uh, And it is happening. Let me get the dates real quick here. It is happening on March 14th, 15th, and 16th. We're calling it the Refresh Worship and Creative Conference. And it is for worship leaders, uh, audiovisual, technology, uh, visual arts, 2D graphic artists, design, digital print, social media management, all of it we're covering. So it's not merely just worship, uh, although that will be um, an emphasis. It's the idea of worship through the creative arts. So yes, it's March 14, 15, and 16 right here at Calvary Church in Aurora. It's our first time ever we're doing it to this degree. I, I just had Pastor Ian in my office um, not right before the program, uh, and he's talking about some of his ideas and some of the things they have planned. Going to be great. Uh, and we invite you to come. This is open to everyone, not just Calvary. It's, a, it's, it's part of the Grace FM outreach, uh, and so you are welcome. You guys can fly in from wherever you're at. Uh, it's, a, it's an opportunity to, to be a part of what God's doing to make you more equipped to serve in the area of audiovisual, AV, uh, worship, creative, anything that you use creatively that will honor the Lord and collaborate in worshiping Jesus. March 14, 15, and 16, information's available at our website, calvaryco.church. So glad that you asked. <clears throat> Hello, my children were told by a Christian uncle that a male crossing his legs is feminine, according to Deuteronomy. If, you, if so, can you tell me the chapter of the verse? Uh, I have never heard that before. Um, I don't know, um, what, I've never heard that before, so let me see if I can find something about it. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't really, I don't really see much in it. Um, I don't really see anything. You said that there's an, a possible reference in Deuteronomy, um, but I just looked up a list of Bible verses related to legs, and I don't see anything in there. Um, I don't agree with your uncle. Um, it's kind of sounds very uh, legalistic and ill-informed. Um, so cross your legs as unto the Lord. It's no big deal. Um, I think there are deeper ways to watch out for that could cause great grief or heartache and crossing their legs is not one of them. 303-690-3000 is the number. 303-690-3000. Taking your calls and your questions. And I want to clear something up as well uh, because I think it was last week, maybe the week before, I made this big deal right before the break about these 12 or 10 things you can do to help enhance your marriage. And I said, oh, we've got the break coming up and I'll give them to you after the, after the break. 
and I didn't do it. I didn't, I didn't give you them. So I want to give them to you now. And I've actually even posted them as well on my website, Calvary, or excuse me, edtaylor.org, my personal website. And I want to uh, read them to you. And so what I'll do is I'll read them a few at a time and then take a call and then read them a few at a time and take a call. And so I, I, I titled the article, uh, 10 Bible Verses, or excuse me, 12 Things to Stir Up Love and Romance in Marriage. 12 Things to Stir Up Love and Romance. If you want the link to that, I can send you the link to that as well. But here's number one. You want to stir up love and romance and closeness and intimacy in your marriage? Number one, start praying together. Start praying together. Number two, read the Bible together. Read the Bible together. And then number three, write little love or encouraging words on post-it notes and leave them in surprising places. That's always fun to find, um, that you're just sharing what's on your heart uh, towards your spouse. Write it down and put it somewhere so it can be found. And I'll read the rest of them during the program. 303-690-3000. Here's a text question. How can a person living a gay lifestyle be ordained as a pastor and preach the word? Um, The only way that can happen is falsely. Falsely. They can't. They're living in unconfessed, unrepentant sin. They cannot be ordained as a pastor and preach the word. Uh, They can say they are. Uh, Some man or woman can say they're ordained and they can open the Bible and talk about it, Um, but it's not from the Lord. God didn't send them. Uh, God spoke very clearly on that particular sin and any sin. It's you don't even have to ask living the gay lifestyle. How can a person in an adulterous living adultery uh, be ordained and preach the Bible? They can't, even though they could be in the pulpit. I think of some guys that um, did that for many years before they got found out and caught, but they weren't from the. It wasn't from the Lord, and so um, you can say any unrepentant, unconfessed sin, any sin that somebody's tried to redefine from what the Bible said. Um, no, the ordination is from the Lord. It's not from man. So when whenever someone is ordained, it's merely the ratification of, of man's ratification of what God's already doing in their life. And then preaching the word with any kind of authority and truth, you, you have to be born again. Um, not living in unrepentant sin. So then the question is, well then, how do people get saved, and how 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 does that how does that work? I my favorite pastor was past, preaching for three years while he was involved in a unrepentant, adulterous relationship. How 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 is it possible uh, that people could get saved? Well, the Bible says that it will not. God says when He sends forth His word, it will not return void or empty. So because of that. You just know that God's going to honor his word. That doesn't mean that the person is approved. doesn't mean that the person, uh, that God doesn't know. But it does mean that God loves his people. And he loves to see him. Sorry, I'm, I yawned. That was not very nice. I'm very sorry. 
I've been up uh, since 5.30 today, um, long day. Wednesdays are always a long day, so I apologize if you heard that. Um, but only God ordains. So whenever man gets involved, he's only ratifying what God has already done. 303-690-3000. 303-690-3000 is the number. Where are we? We're going to be going back to Mississippi Mississippi, Nick, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for your your clear uh, Bible teaching as well. Um, I appreciate it. It's a blessing. You're welcome. Um, My question is in regards to uh, being anointed with the Holy Spirit. I've uh, I've, I've been hearing that, you know, so using Acts, right, as the scriptural basis for this, Paul, on his missionary journey, would would, uh, meet these people who had, you know, believed in the name of Jesus. Uh, they had been water baptized, uh, but they had not yet received the Holy Spirit um, until usually, usually a laying of hands and then a proceeding uh, out, outpouring through their mouth, through either speaking in tongues or glorifying God, praising God. And so, you know, I was always taught, like I think like most Christians, that it happens at the point of, uh, of salvation, uh, you know, you're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But um, using Acts seems to say something differently, and I don't know if that is purely descriptive or it's prescriptive sure. for us. And uh, I just I just want to know your thoughts on that. Have you ever heard of the doctrine or the teaching of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Yes, yes, and that's that's kind of what I'm— uh, alluding to yes, and so we we actually have the beginning uh, teachings of the baptism of the Holy Spirit before the Book of Acts uh, in John's Gospel chapter twenty one. Uh, he the as he's ministering to the disciples there, the Bible. It's let me make sure I get it right here. Um, sorry about that. Um, you have the whole. You have a group of people. Um, the disciples there that the Bible says Jesus breathed on them, and he said to receive the Holy Spirit, uh, and that's what happened when they did. They Jesus breathed on them, and they received the Holy Spirit, and that is the essence of what you described as the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And then when we get to the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1, we have uh, instruction to these very same people that ha- have the Holy Spirit in them. He, we have an example of Jesus telling them that they will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And just like water baptism, the word baptism here means to be immersed or to be submerged. And when it's referring to the work of the Holy Spirit— it speaks of the consumption of the Spirit, to be consumed by the Holy Spirit. The, my pastor used to say it's the difference between taking a glass of cold water uh, and on a hot day and drinking it in where you're refreshed on the inside and you're drinking that water and it feels so good because it's been such a hard day. And then comparing that, that would be the infilling of the Holy Spirit, taking water in. But then the baptism of the Holy Spirit would be like jumping into a pool. And now you don't only have the water in you, but you're submerged by the water. Uh, And 
And so I believe what you see in Acts chapter 19, uh, Acts chapter 1, uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is is an, ad, uh, an additional relationship that you and I can have with the Holy Spirit, that there's actually three relationships, the um, with experience uh, that you can have with the Holy Spirit, the in experience, that's with is the conviction of the Holy Spirit, it brings you to to the place of knowing that you're, you're separate from God, drawing you to himself. The inexperience is the Holy Spirit coming into you for salvation. And the upon experience, which is what that Greek word means, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And if you email me, I'll send you the link. I did a Bible study on this, and it'll help you understand it. Actually, I'll just put you on hold, and uh, Kevin can get you that info on the website. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to the second half. I'm sorry that the music just went caught up with us, Um, even though I saw um, Kevin counting down in the window there. but give me a call, 303-690-3000. 303-690-3000 is the number. All the phone lines are full, so I'm going to get back to them in just a moment. But I did post on my website these ingredients to having to sparking, stirring up love and romance in your marriage. Because so often... Uh, we hear the need for it, but we don't know how. What are some practical things that can be done right away to stir up love and romance? That and, and you do them right away, but the results may take time. It has to be a fundamental change in your heart. But here are some practical things. One, start praying together. Two, read the Bible together. Three, write little love or encouraging w- words on Post-it notes. Leave them in surprising places. Number four, Go to bed together at the same time every night. It's very, very helpful. Number six, give each other a solid 10-second hug as soon as you see each other in the morning and in the evening. Number seven, say I love you a lot every day. And then number eight, send your spouse a text message or DM reminding them you are thinking of them. Number nine, focus on what your spouse is doing Focus on what your spouse is doing that is right rather than all the wrongs you might see. Number 10, pray for your spouse by name throughout the day. Number 11, go for walks together talking about life and problems if need be. And I would say for for marriages with kids, try not to talk about the kids on that walk, just each other. Um, And you could deal with those um, little by little. Um, Number 12, be deliberate about being physically intimate. That is self-explanatory. Repetitive and deliberate, you could say. Number 13 is a bonus. Share encouraging things about your spouse with others, especially in front of your spouse. And then 14 is another bonus. Make date nights a priority and regular habit. And notice what I didn't say about that. I didn't say have one every week. Don't make an impossible goal. But make it a priority and then a regular habit. Set realistic goals. 
if you set it every, especially with kiddos, right? Because you don't, you may not be able to get a sitter. Um, and date nights don't have to be expensive. Uh, they could be a ice cream date. They could be the walk. The walk could be the date. It could be something that you save up for, and it could be very nice. Uh, where you say, no, we'll save up for a month and we'll go to a very nice dinner. Um, it doesn't have to be expensive, uh, but it it should be regular and a priority. And uh, I think I skipped over number five. Um, number five is hold hands privately and in public. And you can see the physical touch is very important. God has made us for that. So that's on our website, my website, edtaylor.org. I titled it 12 Things to Stir Up Love and Romance. Uh, most popular post in 2023. I've only posted two things in 2023, but this one's the most popular. <laughs> Quite a few thousands have been looking at it, so um, join them and share it and forward it and tell somebody about the website. Appreciate it. 303-690-3000 is the number. Where are we? We are on line two in Maryland. Erica, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. What's going on? Um, so I just recently got engaged, and me and my fiancé are both believers and okay. planning to have the wedding um, at the end of June. Yes. And um, we were talking, we were kind of considering potentially moving out of Maryland. And so my question is, what are good reasons to move to a new location spiritually? And um, I guess what are some bad reasons? That's a good question. Uh, I, I'm just going to talk out loud. Like, I don't have a list that I could refer to, but I'll think of some reasons um, that you can consider. Number one, you move out of state. Um, where, did you say benefit spiritually? I want to use your phrase properly. Like, what, what? Yeah. So number one, I would say one way that that would benefit you spiritually, or one good spiritual reason, is that you are uh, obeying God. He has placed that burden upon you to start new and start fresh, and you're obeying God. Um, a second one could be to that moving out of state would really help you and your new husband leave and cleave. You know, it's important in a marriage uh, that a husband leave his mo- mother and father and cleave to his wife, and it's equally important for a wife to leave her mother and father and cleave to her husband. And that's true for every age and every situation, not just 18-year-olds you know, and 20-year-olds. It's true for everyone that the principle of marriage for it to work is to leave and cleave, and you now are a new entity. Uh, another reason uh, that it could help beneficially is that God has, has a new job uh, in a new place, and you're going to start a new life with God leading you to a new job. Um, uh, another one is you could move out of state to um, that's more affordable, and you can your money can last longer, and you can uh, use use your resources for the kingdom of God because you can spend less in another area. Um, but but le- moving out of state and taking a step of faith um, is a good idea um, if the Lord's leading you to do it. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. One of the reasons my wife and I moved out of state was to plant a church. Um, awesome. And so we left, um, you know, all of our family and friends and everyone, everything that we ever knew. Uh, we mm-hmm. moved here to Colorado. And, and, you, and so another reason could be to help a church plant or to go to a yeah. new church or like God is ministering to you and he wants you in a new community or um, mm-hmm. it could be really good. So let's, mm-hmm. before you hang up, 
What are some bad reasons to move out of state? Can you think of any? Um, I think if you just really didn't pray about it and yes. you just kind of were like this, just for more superficial region, reasons yes. instead of like the kingdom, like, you yes. know, what spiritually what's down there or wherever you're going, yes. that's going to be beneficial for the kingdom. I think it'd be a bad choice to just move somewhere based off of something superficial. I um, agree. Um, I think yeah. I think running away from problems um, yeah. could be another reason that would not be wise to move out of state. Um, you know, the um, I think that a lot of times people want are taking things into their own hands, um, and instead of waiting on the Lord, they're jumping in trying to help God. So they think moving to a new location is going to solve all their problems. But right. <laughs> the problem with that is they take their problems with them. And right. So, yeah, I can think of a lot of reasons, too, that um, that could be very detrimental to moving out of state. But I can think of a lot of good reasons. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. So are you moving? Well, we got to pray some more. But, yes. uh, yeah, we'll see where the Lord leads. leads. We were kind of feeling it both, and but we definitely want to make sure it's, God's will. So, yep. So Why? We might move out of Maryland. We'll see. <laughs> so then let's, um, if you can share with us, since people are listening to this call, what would yeah. be the main reason right now, if it stood right now after you guys get married, that mm-hmm. you think moving out to another place, you believe God's leading you that? Do you know the reason yet, or is it just a feeling? Uh, it's kind of just a feeling, okay. but it, I think it has to do with ministry and kingdom. Okay. Um, there's a particular place on my heart, but I'm like, that sounds crazy because I would never move there in a thousand years, but it keeps coming up. So yes. I'm like, okay. And um, I just want to be, you know, obedient to God's will. And I'm excited. Like being a Christian is an adventure and I just want to go wherever God calls me, you know. Do you think that there's no adventure for you where you currently are? I think that there is. Yeah, I definitely think there is. Good, so maybe I need to pray in that a little more too. Yes, because I think one of the great things that you're, you and your fiance are, are one of the great places that you are that you may mm-hmm. not see is that God has brought you guys to this point of a step of faith. So staying will be a step of faith just as much as going will be a step of faith. Right. Like once you make the decision for this season— um, because let's just say God says, don't leave, stay in Pennsylvania. Um, and he wants you there for the season. You just then have to remember, okay, Lord, I'm going to obey you today. Uh, and not now doesn't mean not forever. Right. And right. I'll obey you in the moment. And and same thing with Pennsylvania. You know, I think, although I never planned on going back to California, there was a small part of me that says, you know, I'm going to step out on faith. I think God has called me to Colorado. The doors are open. The opportunity is there. The confirmation of the Holy Spirit's there. And even though I probably didn't voice this much and I had never any intention of going back, I did think, and I think I talk, probably talked to Marie about this, like, if it doesn't work, we can always go back. Yeah. And it, it's, it, it, it is, although Colorado is our home, uh, and we are, our home is no longer Southern California. Um, even in those early days, day one, our home was, I mean, geez, Colorado was our home before we even left Southern California. Like our heart was here. Um, mm-hmm. But that step of faith didn't mean that we would be here forever, although so far 
that's what it is. Um, mm-hmm. And and I think that that's the adventure part of it, right? God could take you here. He could take you there. He can take you. Yeah. You know, I met a family uh, this Sunday that's new to the church that um, they were in Hawaii, then they were in California, now then they were in Colorado, and now they're back, or they were in, they, all of that, but now they're back in Colorado. And it's just <laughs> been an adventure for them. And so they're following the leading of the Lord, which happens to be tied to his job. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. Well, let me pray for you. Can I do that? Yeah, that would be great. Thank you. God, I lift up my sister to you and uh, all that you're wanting to do. It's not Pennsylvania, it's Maryland. And so I pray that you would minister to her, uh, to Erica and her fiancé. I pray, God, that you would give her wisdom individually and together, especially after marriage when they are one in you, uh, that you would give them the needed information to make this decision of faith that you're leading them to. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for the show. I've been listening to it since I got saved in 2018, and it's really just been such a blessing to me. So thank you so much. You're welcome. It's a privilege to be there. Okay. Bye-bye. 303-690-3000 is the number. Mason in, in Alabama. Welcome to the program. Thank you. You're welcome. You're I on the air. I have a question about uh, Ephesians. Yes. It talks about uh, the relationship of marriage and uh, God's love for his church as a mystery. So I was wanting to know what your take was on the, the mystery of those two things. Uh, let me pull up that text. And it is Ephesians, what, chapter 5? Wives, submit to your own husbands. Husband is the head of the wife, just as the church is subject to Christ. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, that he might sanctify, cleanse her. Uh, And then where are we? Where is the mystery? Do you have your Bible open? I don't. I'm sorry. That's okay. I think it's the end of that chapter. It's at the end. Let's see here. Let me get all the way down. I'm using my computer, so I have to have my eyes. Um, uh, da, 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 da. We are members as flesh. It's a great mystery, but I speak concerning the Christ and the Church. So really what he's talking about is the closeness and intimacy of marriage uh, is descriptive of the closeness and intimacy uh, between a believer, the body of Christ, you and I, right? We We think of church as a local church or a building or a group of people, but really the church is you individually and me individually. And there is a leaving and cleaving in marriage, and there's also a leaving and cleaving in our relationship with the Lord. In marriage, we leave our parents to cleave to our spouse. In, in, in life, uh, in relationship to Jesus Christ, we leave our, the world behind and our allegiances and all of that, and we cleave to the Lord. And so when he says this is a great mystery, he gives you the explanation of that. He's talking about uh, Christ and the church, and that's the real revelation. Christ and the church has the intimate relationship that is pictured in the human realm through marriage. So is that a, a different relationship that Christ has with the church than with the world? Very much so, yes. Absolutely. Uh, the world is not the bride of Christ. Um, but, 
you know, just like any any other metaphor or picture in the scriptures, it's not perfect in its comparison to Jesus, because uh, in in marriage, a man cannot be married to two women, um, you know, or the bride can't be married to two men, and even so, in our relationship with Jesus. Um, although, like you said, that you you put it really well, is a unique relationship different than in the world? And the answer is yes. Except the good news is, and this is where the illustration breaks down just a little bit, is that someone that's in the world can be a part of the bride of Christ. So the the bride of Christ can continue to grow, um, whereas in a typical marriage, uh, in a real human marriage, it's one man, one woman, one life. So. How did Christ die for the world and the church? Are those separate things or similar things? No. So that's a great question in the sense that when Jesus dies for the world, he dies for all humanity before before they're a bride of Christ. It's his death that makes available the possibility of becoming the bride. So think of the world first as a large... Uh, set, and think of the church or the bride of Christ as a subset of the world, the larger number. The church is a subset of men and women that are born again, but they come out of the world, leaving and cleaving. They're no once they're the bride, they're no longer part of the world. So when you think of again on a theological, on a deeper theological part, when it, the Bible says that Jesus died for the world, that is not a statement that's, that means Jesus saved the world, because there's a condition placed upon salvation, that if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe on your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So God's uh, provision of sacrifice through Jesus Christ for the world made salvation available, but only those that repent of their sins are born again. Thank you. Does this have a connection also with Israel? Israel is a a different subset. Uh, If you think of the world, you know, that large group, I'm thinking in my mind a bucket. I mean, it's it's a poor illustration, Um, but a bucket filled with people. It's kind of a weird illustration. I'm sorry. Um, all the people in that bucket are divided into two categories. They are divided into that. This is the set. They are divided into Jews or Israel and Gentile. And then the subset, the church, is made up of born again Jews and Gentiles. So the world is known in two sets. And then there's a third identity that comes out of the world, and those are those men and women, Jew and Gentile, that are born again. They are now a new entity known as the church. Does that help? Okay. Um, I think a little bit. I'm, I guess I'm just, I think through it a little bit differently. I was thinking about Israel as, as like me being Israel, as one who God strives with. And so, yeah, the Bible, when it speaks of uh, born-again Gentiles, the Bible says that they are then grafted in to the branch, into Israel, um, but that doesn't make you Jewish. You have a new identity. Your identity is a the bride of Christ. 
You don't become a Jew when you're born again. You don't become an, a part of Israel. You're grafted in, but you don't lose your identity. Your identity is is a born again um, believer. And you can think of three groups of people on the earth today: Jew, Gentile, born again believer. Similar to how Jacob's name was renamed to Israel. Yeah, Jacob's name was renamed Israel because his personality changed. God had a new relationship with him. So he was grafted in? No, he was already he was already uh, a follower of God under the old covenant. But he was chosen before he was born. Yeah, he's a follower of God under the old covenant, so he wasn't a Gentile. Okay. So it, I, I it, thought that all it would be better for you were saved by their um, belief in Jesus. Everyone was saved by faith, yes. But the relationship God had, it's very similar. Like, again, going back to your original question, when it uses marriage, you even see a change of relationship when it comes to marriage. When you're, you and I, we were, our primary relationship prior to marriage was son. We were a son of our parents. But when we chose to become become one with our wives, when I chose to get married to Marie, I have a new relationship. My new relationship that is primary is now husband. That is the most important relationship I have. I am now one with my wife. I'm still a son. I don't lose my sonship, my identity, but it now takes a secondary role because I have a new identity. My new identity is husband, and it's the new priority. A newness has been created. And so in a very similar way, when a person is born again, they have a new identity, but they don't lose their old identity in the sense that if you were a Gentile, you're still a Gentile. If you were a Jew, you're still a Jew. But now you have a primary relationship, and that is a follower of Jesus Christ. And so I think as you're processing this, and you can call me back another time, as you're processing this, I think the important way to process it is to think of new covenant examples. Because with new covenant examples, like a simple name change in the Old Testament isn't the equivalent of what we're talking about here. Because even in the new covenant, Saul's name, when he was born again, was changed to the Greek version, Paul. Uh, and, And so now you have a name change, but it's really not relevant to the conversation because we're talking about the spiritual identity and the newness of life. So thanks so much for calling. 303-690-3000. Coming back to Aurora, Colorado, Jackie, welcome to the program. Hi, Pastor Ed. Hi. Hi. So back in September, I had you pray for me because I had uterine cancer. Yes. Um, I had I had surgery. They said they removed all the cancer. Oh, good. And they said that I would have to go back in six months, you know, to recheck to make sure that, you know, it doesn't come back. My six months is mark is coming up here in April, but I have so much anxiety and fear. Yes. And I go to Bible study. I go to Calvary Church to listen to you every, not every Sunday, but, you know, if I'm not there, I'm yeah. online. Yes. And I just, I think I need to have more faith. Yes. Um It's just like I said, I'm, it's, my anxiety is like through the roof, and my mind is just, 
It, I it, mean, it's, it's getting to me. It's normal. You, you're in a very precarious place. And I'm, I'm thinking of, uh, I can't remember his name. I need to remember his name. There is a very prominent evangelical who's been battling cancer for two years. Um, very aggressive pancre- pancreatic. He's a prolific author, Kevin. He is from New York. Um, I need to, I need, he, he described what you just said because he's had to go back for all these scans. He's under a, um, he's under some experimental treatment. And I mean, this brother has literally blessed millions upon millions of people with his books, um, with his pastor, um, you know, pastoring a church in New York, um, has got a church planting network that he does. And I can't remember his name, but he talked about, he had a word, he had a word for the the feeling, Tim Keller, that's his name, um, Tim Keller. He had a word for what you're describing, because he, he's been doing this. He's had to go back for scans, scans, and scans. So let me see what that word is. Um, let me make sure I have the right article. And then I'm going to pray with you, because I just, what what I really think, I what I really want you um to know is that it's normal what you're facing. Um, not everybody, um, not everybody has the, um, and I know this is a hard word, but the privilege to deal with facing death. It usually comes very sudden, or it comes in such a way where we are unable to prepare for it, or you know, it right. takes us out. And and but God has given you the privilege to fight it. Um, the doctors have given you. Uh, a satisfactory, um, an, um, a satisfactory response. They said they got it all, but they still want to continue to check you um, because them they want to make sure. And right, yeah, I can't find the article. I wanted to find he he used the phrase about all these tests, and he could have just said it could have been just something like test anxiety or um, mm-hmm. you know scan anxiety, something like that, but. He describes exactly what you are describing, and and it's yeah. been it's been good for him. It's, he says, "I'm reading an article. If you want to text me, um, uh, I can give you. I'll send you a link to the article. I found it. Um, okay, and that his life might. I, I bet you he has a blog where he writes about it too, where it can be um, an encouraging encouragement to him. But this guy's he's like a pillar. Um, he's he's like a a pillar in the Christian community and he feels just like you do. Um, yeah. and he's, he's, I mean, the anxiety is like through the roof, I'm telling you. Yeah, he said, here's a phrase, here's something he says in the article. He says, um, when dealing with anxiety stemming from his diagnosis, Keller said he finds comfort in the Psalms, a book that deals with every issue from guilt to depression. There's nothing like the Psalms to teach you, he said, and the way I deal with the anxiety is I keep my Psalms up. And I keep my exercise up. <laughs> so he does something physical as well. Um, right. But it's normal. I, and, you know, I one of the things that the Lord has taught me over the years, especially is dealing with grief. It, it was through um, our study. And you might have even been, in, been with us when I taught this Bible study. But in he, Hebrews chapter 10, in verse 36, he says, For you have need of endurance, so that after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. And the Lord wants to help you in your anxiety. It's it's not unusual that you would have these feelings right now. And the Bible tells us what to do. 
The Bible says, cast your cares upon him because he cares about you. The Bible says to be anxious for nothing, but instead by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your request be made known to God. And you just happen to be in a time where you got to do this constantly or your mind will just swallow you whole. Oh, yeah. Amen to that, yes. But I want you to understand, too, compared to the last time, compared to the last time we had this conversation and we were praying about the diagnosis, you know, you, you think back of all the anxiety that you had there and you don't have it anymore. God dealt with that. You have a new anxiety, which tells me probably anxiety is a big part of your life, like it is mine, um, or just worry. Um, but you learned to trust back then. You went to the doctor appointments. You got the diagnosis. You went through surgery. You have all. So you got, got you through in the past. He's going to get you through right. now as well. Amen. That's so true. It is. And it's just we have to live it out because, yeah, the fact is we, we don't always believe it. That's just the way it is. And Lord, help our unbelief, the disciples said, and so do we here in the 21st century. Let me pray for you because we're going to run out of time. So Father, I pray for my sister. We rejoice with her first that the surgery was successful, and now we pray for this anxiety she has as she faced the test and the scans and everything else. Um, I don't remember what Pastor Tim said it was, but he, he, he and many people listening in can relate to the anxiety, but also he and many, many people listening in can relate to your faithfulness, that God, you are faithful, and you haven't brought my sister this far just to leave her now. You promised never to leave or forsake her, so encourage her in Jesus' name. Amen. See you later, sister. Bye-bye. Hey, you, this is it. We'll be right back tomorrow. You've been <laughs> listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's Word.